This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. We're in part three of a series called Hope for Broken Hearts and uh, so grateful uh, for the message last week and what Adam shared, knowing that it ministered uh, to so many parents in our church. And today we're talking about when your marriage ends and we're talking about the person who has been through divorce. This isn't a marriage crisis talk. Uh, this isn't uh, a lot of the talks that you've heard from me or from this church, this teaching team over the years on marriage. Today's message is truly ministering to the heart of the one who has been through divorce. And a verse that has been running with me on marriage the last couple of weeks, and I have a friend that said years ago, if you want to solve all the problems in marriage, it comes down to one thing. And I'm like, boy, you lean in when someone says there's one thing to solve all marriage problems. And he said, eradicate selfishness. You get rid of selfishness, it's going to cover a lot. And in Philippians 2, 4, we read, and I've been meditating on this passage, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And when you get up in the morning, right, it's not, you're not your first thought, right? Parents already know this. You don't get to choose your first thought in the morning. It's chosen for you often. But that I wouldn't get up in the morning and think, what does Ted want today? What does Ted want to get done today? Uh, How can Ted meet his needs today? That I would get up and have a first thought that how can I serve my wife? And my wife is a trooper. We were invited to a marriage retreat up in Alaska a couple of weeks ago and uh, to lead a couple's retreat. And she thought, I think she had in her mind these quaint little towns in Alaska where we were going to shop and... And, you know, have some espresso with some little cookies and all that. Well, it it was more like a fishing couple's retreat. Uh, And I didn't hide that from her. I just didn't know fully what it was. Uh, And she should have known when we were buying her waiters before we left. Uh, This is my favorite picture from the whole trip. Amy on a boat with strangers. We don't know any of these people on this boat. But doesn't she look like she's having a great time? I mean, that's why you go to... She's having a ball. Have you seen the movie Grumpy Old Men? We don't know. This guy's from Vermont and New York and this couple from Dallas. And we had to help this guy on and off the boat. I mean, like I was picking up his legs to get him on the boat. And I'm like, man, how bad is your arthritis? He goes, no, the waders are too small. That's really what I got going on here. And so... And I'm like, Amy, what a romantic Alaska trip you'll never forget. We were... Last year, I caught my record rainbow trout, 30 inches on the Kenai River in Alaska. I don't want to brag, uh, but the Lord humbled me quickly uh, because 30 minutes on the Kenai River, and, and Amy caught a 32 and a half inch rainbow trout. I got emotional. I was in tears. I fell over while videoing the thing once I saw the thing come up out of the water. I embraced the guide. I mean, we're hugging. He's coming for Thanksgiving. That's how much I fell in love with the guide. And Amy the whole time's going, this was totally wasted on me. But the whole time I kept reminding her, I, I want this to be a special trip for both of us, but I know it's leaning my way. And I am so grateful for you. Where do you want to go next uh, is really the question you should ask there. We love taking uh, our boat rides on Table Rock Lake, our favorite thing to do. And, and if you have been on Table Rock or in this area anytime, you know the sunsets. Our cameras are full of sunset pictures of Table Rock Lake. 
Uh, and my favorite thing to do is to get on the pontoon, press play on Redneck Yacht Club, and head north on Table Rock and get there right before sunset and turn around and have sunset starboard side the whole way back. It's my favorite thing to do. But my wife has temperature issues. And uh, I thought I'd show that this is a romantic boat ride back to Long Creek with my wife. Uh, again, she's looking after the interests of other people. Today, as we talk about divorce and, and mourning the death of a marriage, uh, I should have done this the first week, and I regret not doing it, but I think I can maybe help uh, right now uh, fix something that was said or not said in the, the first week, because uh, some people left, first-time guests, and I get this, and there are guests here today. This is so important for you here, the heart of this message and how we've prepared for it. Uh, but there were people that left uh, two weeks ago, and I, I got emails, and we love them. Uh, we get them, and, and, I, and, I, and I responded to this one because a gentleman, in honesty, he just said, Ted, I think Christian nationalism is a woke liberal term meant to silence the church. And he kind of felt that we were silenced a little bit. And I, I said, phew, I said, you don't have to go very far back into our archives as a church, to realize we have not been silenced one bit. It, you don't even have to go back 12 months to see we have hit head-on difficult topics and shared our stand as a church against abortion. We've talked gender identity. We've talked marriage. We've talked racism. We've talked, we did a whole message on cancel culture and how much we can't stand that. I mean, we, we've covered that, but if you're here for the first time and you haven't been back in the archives, you can take the sum total of this church on one message, and today's no different. You could do the same thing. Today is not about fighting for a couple in crisis. And, and, and you're like, well, you should be. Trust me, we do. Every day around this church, through Marriage 911 and through counseling and through marriage intensives here in Branson and Rome, Georgia, we're constantly fighting for marriage. I, I go out every weekend helping couples enjoy life together. I, I was at a date night comedy in Salisbury, Missouri last night, First Baptist Salisbury. Absolutely loved it. This is what I love about small town events. I was three jokes from the end. A farmer on the second row took a phone call. A cow had escaped. And I thought he was going to take it. Nope, we all got to hear how this cow was going to find its way back into the pasture. So I, I, I'm a champion for marriage. I'm passionate about couples and fighting for couples and, and, and giving them the gift of a great marriage to their children. I'm just telling you, that's not what we're doing today. That's it. That's all I'm trying to say. But you, you, you can go back to our two Ignite messages. There's over 70 of them. We used to give the first Sunday of every month to talk about marriage I also want to say today is not an easy out for the person in a marriage crisis. We're not sharing this today for you to leave and be like, whoo, there's hope on the other side of it, and I just was emboldened to take the step. That's not what we're doing today. It's not about winning. This message isn't a winning your spouse back message. We've covered grounds for divorce. We've covered grounds for divorce and remarriage clearly in this church we will always, as a church, take a stand in matters that matter to God. We have walked alongside the spouse who has been abandoned, 
abused, who had a spouse through pornography or adultery. It was relentless, persistent, unrepentant, and we've walked alongside that spouse. I'm just telling you, that's not what we're doing today. That's it. I just, I can't be any clearer because people, oh, people will hear something that was never said. So to quote theologian John Wayne, he said, I'm only responsible for what I say, not for what you understand. Okay, now, don't you dare Quote that to your spouse this week. <laughs> if you quote that, church discipline begins immediately. That is not for you to use with your wife or your husband. But I want you to know if you're brand new to our church, we stand strong on the essentials of our faith. We stand strong on the scripture. And when we're called to speak out, we speak out. And it's not comfortable. It's not always the most leave church, woo-woo, woo-woo. But I just want, as we launch into this, no, we'll never be silenced on matters that matter to God. We'll, we'll always take a strong stand. And as we do, I, I want to just share three passages, just three quick ideas about marriage. And, and the, the, these have been shared countless times at Woodland Hills Family Church. And as we share these, the purpose of sharing these is for us to understand why divorce is so painful and why divorce is so messy. As you enter into the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, you enter into that covenant. Genesis 2.24 refers to it as one flesh. They become one flesh. What does one flesh mean? It means exactly what you think it means when it comes to the marriage bed. Naked, vulnerable, protected, safe. And it's one of the reasons why divorce is so painful. Right? If intimacy is being fully known and fully accepted, divorce is being fully known and then rejected. Someone who has very intimate details of you and your life and the marriage that you had together now leaves. And I, I see this all the time play out online where it's like, what is this person now going to do with this information? Jesus says it this way in Matthew 19, 6, what God has joined together. You stood before God and gathered witnesses to enter into this covenant relationship. And it's one flesh and it goes far beyond just the bedroom. It's that naked, vulnerable, safe, protected intimacy outside of the bedroom, relationally, emotionally, yes, physically, but you're one flesh, and God has brought this together. And Paul goes so far as to say in Ephesians that our marriage is to be a reflection of the gospel. He says it's a picture about Christ and the church. So yes, we take marriage seriously, and and, and marriages end. And here's the, the clear message today. And I, it's been hard for me to share this. But the reason we're sharing it today is because I have heard from countless people, and this I repent of to this congregation, who say, as a divorced person in a church so passionate about marriage, Ted, sometimes we don't feel heard, seen, loved, and cared for. And for that, I'm sorry. We want Woodland Hills Family Church to be a place where every person who's gone through the pain of a, door, a divorce can feel loved, cared for, 
mourned with, protected when necessary from an abusive, adulterous spouse. And as a church, we want to talk today and minister to the soul of the one who's been through a divorce, but we also, because one of our core values is every member is a minister, we want to be a church where we are ministering well to the soul of the one who has been through a painful divorce. And for those of you who've experienced that divorce, and I know every single person in here has a family member or friend who's gone through it, I want you to know this. Divorce ends your marriage, not you. Not you. I, for years, have been uh, mentored from time to time by Dr. Bob Paul. He's one of the architects of the marriage intensive program. It focuses on the family used to be called a marriage intensive with National Institute of Marriage. Now it's called Hope Restored and Focus on the Family runs it. And, and Bob has dedicated his life to saving marriages. Like marriages in crisis, God's called him to that. And, and, and we meet at Bob Evans from time to time. And he's just shared nuggets with me over the years. And I asked him to speak directly to this divorce ending a marriage, not you. And he, I believe he's a theologian. He's got a pastor's heart a phenomenal counselor. And the reason I wanted him to share this quote is because, to be honest with you, I just didn't want a jaded voice. I, I, I wanted it to be from someone who fights almost every day of their ministry to save marriages. And here's what he says about divorce ending marriage. Of the three components of a marriage, husband, wife, and relationship, only two are eternal, the husband and the wife. Jesus made it clear in the two Gospels, in two of the Gospels, that we won't be married in heaven. Now, some of you hear that, and you're like, no. Others of you hear that, and you're like, whoo. <laughs> but I've had people, as I, I shared this on, on Clay's radio show yesterday, that, that had texted me, like, I don't like that part about not being married in heaven. But, but let's understand what, what that means. It doesn't... It doesn't mean you're not going to know your spouse. It doesn't mean you won't have a relationship with your spouse. Marriage is just not needed. And Jesus makes that very clear. But, but, this is the key. Hopefully both people will be there. And Jesus came to save people, not marriages. If we make the relationship more important than the people, we are out of line with the Lord. The marriage needs to be support and it needs to assist the eternal beings. What a, what a concept for us to grasp. The eternal beings who are God's precious children are meant to live with him forever. And, and when he shared this with me, I said, thank you, Bob. I'm going to share that Sunday in the message. And it immediately brought me back to Marriage 911. Marriage 911 is a ministry of our church that actually a lot of the content comes out of the marriage intensive program. Many of you have been through Marriage 911. If you're in a crisis right now, I can't encourage you enough to reach out this week to Marriage 911. Someone will contact you within 24 hours to help you work through it. It's a 13-week ministry. RG and Karen Yowley lead it. They'll be in our next service. RG's an elder at our church. Uh, but I, I just have seen over the years this play out, what Dr. Paul is talking about. Because one spouse says, I want my marriage saved. There's crisis counseling at Woodland Hills. Let's get into it. And one spouse comes and the other spouse does not. The other spouse says, I'm done. 
And we still encourage that spouse, go through, stick with it for 13 weeks. And there's testimony after testimony in here today, and we'll be on campus this week, of people who were saved through Marriage 911, but their marriage was not. And this is their testimony from Marriage 911. You were saved, but your marriage ended. Ten years ago, I had a friend that went through it, came to know the Lord through Marriage 911, on fire for the Lord ten years later, but his marriage did not come out of it. In Romans 8, 28, we're encouraged with the words of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And some of you, as painful as your divorce was, it brought you to Jesus. Some of you, as painful as your divorce was, you're already a Christian, but you were in drift, and your divorce brought you back to the Lord. As we, as we move through this today, as we talk about the, the mourning the death of a marriage, I, I just want this church to be known as someone, and this is the tension. It's the tension we're always going to have. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. We'll always champion marriage, God's definition of it. We don't need a politician. We don't need a court. We don't need, a, we don't need anyone defining it because God already did. And we're going to be a champion for it. But I hope at the same level that we champion marriage, we comfort those who are mourning the death of a marriage. And I can tell you as a pastor, that hasn't always been the case here. And I had a guy here, and I, I hope he's back. It was years ago after a message on marriage, he came up with his fist clenched, and he was ready to take me out. And he goes, I've never left a service feeling more like crap than I do right now. And, and God used that in me because I was just so fired up about marriage, and I know probably telling jokes, and marriage is a great thing, great thing, great thing, and, and, and he just, and he could have taken the shot, and I probably had it coming. I hope we can champion marriage, and we can comfort those who are mourning. I hope Woodland Hills is known as that. We have divorce care. I think we're one of two churches in our community that offers divorce care in different seasons throughout the year. I just hope people look at Woodland Hills and go, that's the place my marriage can get started. Uh, I, let's go through ready to wed. Let's start this marriage. Let's get it going. Um, marriage is in a little bit of a difficult spot. Let's get counseling. It's in crisis. That's a church that believes in saving marriages. But I'm just hoping people in this community can look at a church and go, I just went through one of the most painful things in my life. And I hope <laughs> there's, there's good news in that place. I hope there's, there's someone there that can listen and talk to me. And this, this we know, and this is what I think we've got to get good at, and we're not great at this either sometimes. But divorce grieves you, your children, your family, and your friends. You're not the only one mourning. It's those surrounding you. So let this church be known, and let us make the statement clear today. Your church family mourns with you. Scripture says in Romans 12, 5, that we, we, there's two pieces to this that we do each and every week, each and every day. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. So today, we're celebrating those who are engaged. At the same time, we're celebrating or, or mourning with someone who just signed the paperwork. We, we do this on Mother's Day, right? That we rejoice with the one who is a new mom while we mourn with the one who has tried for years to conceive. When the flood hit our area, I just remember 
Sundays in here, you know, people, we were rejoicing that the flood stopped four feet from the back door, but then turned around and a, a conversation five minutes later mourned with those who had the flood waters come in. This is, this is what it means to be in biblical community. This is what it means to be the body of Christ. Rejoicing with people and at the same time mourning. And so I just want to go through, because I do, I, I believe with every ounce of my being, divorce is the death of a marriage and we have to mourn it just like we mourn the death of a loved one, which is what we'll be talking about next week. And I just want to give some practical ways as you move through the stages of grief. I'm not going to spend a long time with this, but stage one is shock and denial. This is what we call the grief cycle. If you've ever been to a counselor to work through grief, they're going to give you five stages of grief. This is what it looks like for your marriage. Yeah, even if you saw it coming for a while, the finality of it can leave you speechless. It's okay, and I encourage you often best to remain silent early on. Not everyone who calls or texts needs the gritty details. Not everyone who calls or texts is a safe person to share it with. Take this moment, because the second stage of grief, and remember, about grief, there, there's no straight line through it, and there's no timeline. You come in and out of these stages, it's, it's, it, it looks more like that. But when you hit anger, resist the urge to vent on social media. You don't need it. Your ex-spouse doesn't need it. Your kids don't need it. Your family and friends don't want to be in the middle of it. Most of your friends online do not know how to process grief in a healthy way at this level. And, and by the way, anger is probably the number one like, purpose of social media these days. Just people outraged about everything. When you hit the bargaining stage, stage three, when you're ready to talk about it, we implore you, turn to healthy voices. You know that jaded coworker that you don't need to go to lunch with. You know the one who's just going to rail on your spouse, on your ex-spouse, and, and give you terrible advice. I told you about the time I was on a plane next to a lady talking to her friend going through a divorce, and I just thought, I don't know. If I, they may kick me off the plane if I rip this phone out of her hands. It's the, it's the worst advice I've ever heard anybody give. It was fueling it. My family, we were on an Allegiant flight last year, and uh, two rows in front of us, all six seats, was a divorce party. Six people, like completely intoxicated before the party began, and just listening to them talk, I'm like, I, I'm on vacation. I shouldn't have to do counseling right now. And <laughs> drunk people usually don't receive it all that well anyway. And we're already in the air, and I want to get to Orlando. So, but I'm going, healthy voices. And guess what? Marriage 911, there's healthy voices. Divorce care, there's healthy voices. The counselors in this church, healthy voices. Turn to people who are going to speak hope and life over you. When you hit the stage four depression and you feel like isolating, stay connected. Stay connected to family, friends, and biblical community. Because at the end, which may take you a while to get there, stage five, acceptance. This is when you understand what singleness is going to look like. Singleness for your parenting or co-parenting, friendships, family gatherings, and home life. And as you work through that, we need to be reminded as a church family how to help you work through that. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Job chapter 2. And I know it's taken us a little bit of time to get there. But in Job 2, if you, if you know the story of Job, 
I mean, he lost his livestock, property, children, health. His wife's like, you're still holding on to your integrity? Curse, curse God. And he says, you're a foolish woman. He says, no, I, I'm not going to give up my integrity. And we know about his three friends. It's a, it's a long book. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And if you've been in the church for any length of time, you're probably quick to judge them and know they gave terrible advice, unhelpful advice and, and rhetoric. And it's basically, God is just, and because all of this has happened to you, Job, must be something in your life. How did you sin? But before we jump to the unhelpful part of these three friends, we have to look at chapter 2 because, man, they did stuff right. They, they, they teach us four things in Job 2, 11 through 13. And I'll give you the outline real quick. They showed up. They mourned. They stayed a while. And this is the hard part. They said nothing. They showed up. They wept. They stayed a while. And they said nothing. You know what we call that? The ministry of presence. Just being there. Look at this. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Tamanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, practice that about 400 times this week, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, the loss of everything. When they heard about this, they set out from their homes. They go to him and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And I, I've, seen, I've seen divorce take years, years off of a person's life. It affects them physically. They couldn't recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They enter into to mourning with Job. Then they sat on the ground with him, don't miss this part, with him for seven days and seven nights. They showed up, they wept, they stayed. They weren't in a rush. And this is, this is the part, underline this in your Bible. No one said a word to him. They didn't need the little, give the little cliches that we all love to give. The pithy little statements just weren't necessary because they saw how great his suffering was. Ah, but they didn't keep their mouths shut. They opened them. And look at what Job says in Job 16 after they talk. I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters. <laughs> and the reason we're sharing today, and the reason we're actually doing an entire series on pastoral care and on every member of minister caring for those around us is I don't ever want to be called a miserable comforter. I don't want anybody in here, in your family or friends, to be calling you a miserable comforter. And look at this. All of you, will your long-winded speeches never end? You have to watch the voices that you lean into. And as we move into hope in the Lord, I cannot encourage you enough. Lean into the Lord and guard your heart from outside voices. I Last year, uh, my kids got me, uh, I call them earbuds. They're called AirPods. I was going to try to be cooler in this service and say my AirPods. And I just learned a feature on them this week, and I found it by accident. I went out for a morning walk. I don't want to brag about my exercise routine. Uh, but I went out for a morning walk, and I put them in, and... I don't know, you probably already knew this. You probably knew it off the spec sheet when you bought them. But when you turn your head and lean like this, 
it gets louder in that ear. And I was like, wait, what is going on? I mean, it was fascinating. I was listening. When I found it out, I was listening to Carrie Underwood and CeCe Winans singing uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I'm like, oh, there's Carrie. Oh, CeCe. Oh, Carrie. CeCe. And I'm just wondering what my neighbors thought as I'm walking down the neighborhood. And I, I thought of that Old Testament term, incline your ear. Right? God says it to his children when they're rebellious. Incline your ear to me. You're not listening. The father to his son, Solomon says, hey, incline your ear to me. The psalmist says to God, incline your ear to me when, they, in, when they're lamenting. And right now, when you're going through a pain, painful divorce, who you give your ear to matters. Psalm 34, 18 reads, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He is the one you turn to in this time. Give him your ear first above all other voices. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And may Woodland Hills be known as a church. May it become a core value of this church to comfort those who mourn. A friend of mine in California is a counselor and he has this core value and it's becoming more of a core value of mine. I love this statement. It's a good reminder for me as I meet and minister to people. He just simply says this, soothe before you solve. And he goes, pastors, teachers, preachers are the worst at that and they do it opposite. We solve. Here's your problem. We're going to fix it. No, I can soothe before I solve. I can do what Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar did. I can show up. I can weep. I can stay a while, don't need to be in a rush, and I can keep my mouth shut to keep from becoming a miserable comforter. Let this church be known as a church that sues before we solve. May we comfort those who mourn. Next week as we talk about mourning the death of a loved one, this week as we talk about mourning the death of a marriage. And so when you go through a divorce, you have a financial plan. I, I get asked all sorts of questions about that. Not my field of expertise, not what I should be offering help with, but there's the, the financial piece and the financial plan. Uh, then there's the parenting or co-parenting plan, and I sometimes get brought in to help with that. We want you leaving today with a hope plan. Like you have your financial plan, your parenting plan, but you need hope. And you know where that hope comes from. Your hope is not in people, places, or things. Your hope is in Jesus. He is your true and only source of life. So number one, on the hope plan, don't rush into another romantic relationship. I can't encourage you enough coming out of divorce. Don't rush. Right? Take this time. Get in the word. Pray. Spend time with the Lord. Take your walk and lean your ear. Incline your ear to him. Number two, don't look for validation online because you're, you're wanting that person to hit the like button and share the comment and that one person you want to speak into your marriage or into the divorce, it's not even in their algorithm. It doesn't even show up on their feed and, and, it, and it tends to do just the opposite of what you're looking for. Take a, take a social media fast during this time. Number three, don't feed regrets. Ask Jesus to redeem your remaining days and he will bring comfort to you as you mourn. Number four, surround yourself with people and voices that point you to hope in Christ. And they are here at this church. They're in your community. They're among your family and friends. Lean in, press in during this time. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for 
uh, a church that does stand strong on what we're called to stand on. We'll always stand uh, on your word. We will always uh, build our house upon the rock, Christ Jesus. We want to hear what he says, do what he says, and make that every day part of our lives. For the one who's hurting right now and mourning a death of a marriage, bring comfort to them. Bind up their broken heart and let this church be a place and a people that you use uh, to do just that. For the children and the parents and the brothers and the sisters and the friends and the family that uh, are also mourning and affected by this divorce, comfort them in this time. I pray for the young people in our church who lost a friend this week and Branson to suicide that you would comfort them as they mourn the death of their friend and classmate. Again, that Woodland Hills would be a church that steps in to do just that. Show up, weep, spend time, and remain silent. We pray all of this in the authority of the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said...